In the name of God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Have you ever run into someone you've known for a long time, but you don't quite recognize who they are? Maybe you run into an old school friend or somebody you went to church with years ago, and you haven't seen them in 10, 15, 20, maybe even longer. A friend's mother, a friend of a friend. But you haven't seen them in 20 or 25 years. Every time we go back to Florida to visit our parents, we seem to run into someone we've known for years, but haven't seen since we've been married. That's 25 years now, right? We're at the store, we're at the restaurant. Maybe they come up and start talking away. And you know that you know them, but you can't quite put the name there. Am I the only one that has that problem? No? Or you both kind of are glancing at each other from across the restaurant. You both have that look in your eye like, I know you. And then it clicks. They say something, they do something, a word, a phrase, a shared memory, and it all comes back. Sometimes it's a joyous experience to see them again. Sometimes it's okay. And sometimes you find out that they've got a whole different idea about what's happened when you were kids than you do. Joseph said to his brothers, I am Joseph. Is my father still alive? But his brothers could not answer him. So dismayed were they at his presence. Then he said to his brothers, Come closer to me. And they came closer. He said, I am your brother Joseph, whom you sold into Egypt. Joseph was the eleventh son of Jacob, and the firstborn to Jacob and Rachel. In Genesis 37, we learn that he's his father's favorite son. His father gave him a special, expensive coat made for him. I know some of you have seen Joseph in the Technicolor dream coat, right? He started having dreams. And in his dreams, one of them, he and his brothers were out. They were harvesting in the fields, and they were putting together sheaves of grain. And suddenly, the the sheaf of grain he just got finished making stands up straight. And the sheaves of grain, his brothers had been making all stand up and bow before his sheaf of grain. He tells his brothers about it, and they give him a look, and they start razzing him. Then he has a dream that the sun, the moon, and eleven stars come and bow down before him. And at that point, his older brothers start asking him, So wait, are you saying that Dad and your mom and all of us will come and bow down before you, little brother? You're going to rule over us? One day the ten older brothers were off driving the fields and the flocks and fields far away from where Jacob and Joseph and his little brother Benjamin were. So Jacob sends Joseph off to report and see how everything's going. And after wandering around to find them, he finally gets close and they see him coming. And when they see him, they start talking. Hey, let's kill him. Then we'll see if any of his dreams come true. And the oldest brother, Reuben, stands up and says, Hey, listen, let's not kill him. He's our brother. But let's throw him in this pit over here. So they do. And then Reuben wanders off. And while Reuben's off, his other nine brothers start deciding what they should do with him. And Judah, Judah can see off in the distance, there's a trade caravan coming by, headed down to Egypt. So they come up with an alternate plan without Reuben there. They decide to sell him into slavery. 
They take his coat, they sell him, then they kill an animal and, and put that animal's blood all over the coat. Reuben returns, Joseph's not there. His brothers start telling this story about how a wild animal came and killed them and wandered off with the body. And they couldn't do anything because they were busy with the animals. They were busy with the sheep. And they go back to, Joseph, to Jacob and tell him that same story. Joseph, though, he sold into Egyptian slavery to a bureaucrat named Potiphar. And through a series of adventures, he's raised to a position of trust and then betrayed and thrown into jail. And while he's in jail, he's able to interpret some dreams for the baker and the butler of Pharaoh. And they say, and when all comes to shove, when push comes to shove, they forget about him and leave him in jail even longer. And then one day there comes a dream that Pharaoh's army of wise men can't interpret. And finally, someone remembers that, oh, Joseph's in jail. Joseph interpreted my dream. Maybe he can interpret yours, Pharaoh. And he could. God was warning that a long famine was coming in seven years. They'd better start preparing now if they were going to survive it. Pharaoh puts Joseph in charge of preparing for the famine. When the famine starts, Jacob, who's very old at this time, sends his sons out to find food. And the brothers come before Joseph, but it's been so long they don't recognize their own brother. But he recognizes them. He questions them, accuses them of spying, plants stolen items in their bags. He keeps Reuben in prison and tells them, hey, if what you're saying is true, come back with your youngest brother. Come back with him as a sign of your honesty. They leave. They get back to Jacob. Jacob says, well, I'd rather lose Reuben than Benjamin because I really miss his brother, Joseph. But eventually, the famine continues and they need to eat. So Jacob relents and sends Benjamin back with his brothers. More hijinks ensue. To tell the whole story as it deserves to be told would mean I'm preaching to you at the 7.30 service when we're about to start coffee hour a couple hours from now. But Joseph, who's been sold into slavery, sold into slavery is the least bad, least bad option his brothers could do to him. Finally has his brothers under his power. He can do what he wants. What does Pharaoh would care happen to a bunch of of shepherds. But he chooses to show mercy. He sees the story differently than they do. Do not fret yourself over the one who prospers, the one who succeeds in evil schemes. Refrain from anger. Leave rage alone. Do not fret yourself. It leads only to evil. That's how the psalmist frames it. Bad people will prosper on earth. We all know that. We like to think only the good prosper, but we all know from experience that's not the truth. But it's not our job to seek their downfall. To get angry and plan their ruin and let it destroy our lives in hatred. In our gospel this morning, Jesus had been talking just to the disciples. And now he looks at everyone who's been listening in and says, But I say to you, listen, love your enemy. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. 
If anyone strikes you on the cheek, offer the other one also. And from anyone who takes away your coat, do not even withhold your shirt. Can you imagine being in that crowd, listening to Jesus that day? He just finished telling his disciples that the poor were blessed and the rich had already had their comfort. Now Jesus is saying to love our enemies, to pray for those who do us harm, to give to those in need. Jesus moves on to tell them, listen, there's no credit in loving those who already love you or giving to someone you know is going to pay you back with interest. The world does that. It's what's normal. It's what's expected. As members of the family of God, we should try to live as the Father lives, merciful and generous, especially to those who don't deserve it, to see the story through the Father's eyes. Do not judge and you will not be judged. Do not condemn and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over, put in your lap. For the measure you will give by is the measure you will get back. Why should we love? Because God first loved us. As we say, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God. That's Jesus' kingdom, one of unearned grace. And a kingdom not just of grace and love, but one where we have a great hope. We've been hearing Paul explain over the last few weeks how the resurrection is Christ is proof that Jesus is promised and central to, God, to Paul's understanding of the gospel. And here he's probably responding to questions he's been asked before. Paul, how does this resurrection work? Give us the mechanics. Has anyone ever had a, taught a Sunday school class where kids start asking you crazy questions about God and things? Right? So if someone's been dead for a long time, how do they get a resurrected body? Do they come back and look like a zombie? Does, does God start pulling the pieces out of, out of the worms that ate them? I've had those questions from little kids before. I'm sure that's the questions they're asking now. I, Paul says, just like when a seed is planted in the ground, that seed dies and the new life comes forth in the spring. Paul says that conceptually it's the same thing. We die in corruption or res resurrected to incorruption. What is sown is perishable. What is raised is imperishable. It is sown a physical body and raised a spiritual body. If there is a physical body, there's also a spiritual body. Paul reminds his readers that Adam's life started when God breathed life into Adam's body. And the second Adam, the last Adam, Jesus Christ, would bring a life-giving spirit. But just like the seeds lead to a new plant, Paul says that we have to leave our physical bodies and let them go to dust so we receive our spiritual body when life is over. Ashes to ashes, dust to dust. What I am saying, brothers and sisters, is this. Flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Paul is saying that our flesh and blood bodies decay. They grow older. And at some point, they quit working at peak efficiency. We will die, but our resurrected bodies will be imperishable. They will not change or grow old. And the kingdom of heaven is one we cannot earn. It's a gift we receive. And that we're not worthy to receive it in ourselves and in our perishable bodies. But God in his love and in his grace sent Jesus to live, to preach, to be crucified, and to be resurrected.
the firstborn from the dead, Paul says, to show God's faithfulness and his desire to have us join the kingdom. Share that hope and that love with those in need. Amen.